You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Christ, God sent His Son that in that righteousness, by believing in Him, we could be saved. We could be counted justified, just as if it never happened. We could be justified by faith in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. And then the greatest thing about it is, is that God used that very law as a tutor for us. He used it as a tutor for us so that we would know what sin was. If Jesus fulfilled the law, why do we need it still? Can we just throw it all out? As Pastor Dave continues our study of the book of Acts in today's message, he'll point out that the law is still helpful for us. It reveals our need for a Savior. It acts as a mirror to hold up to your life and see your areas of weakness. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 15 as he begins his message, Past, Present, Future. Today, as I said, we're going to be in Acts 15, continuing our study through the book of Acts. Specifically, we're going to look at Acts 15, verses 6 through 18. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, Acts 6 through 18. I will read aloud if you would like to follow along silently, please. Beginning in Acts 15, verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God uh, chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened as Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with these words, the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity, are all his works. I want to begin today by a quote from St. Augustine, or St. Augustine, whichever way you want to pronounce his name. The quote goes like this, trust in the past to God's mercy, trust the present to God's love, and trust the future to God's providence. Let me repeat that. Trust the past to God's mercy, trust the present to God's love, 
and trust the future to God's providence. I like this quote. I think it says a lot. In the past, God's mercy has poured out upon us through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has given us something we did not deserve. In fact, we sang about that this morning. You gave us something you didn't deserve. God has shown us mercy when we deserve death. Mercy is defined as benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of the heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. That kind of describes what happened to us. There's perhaps no word in the language that is synonymous with mercy. In fact, the closest one to that would be, what would you think? Grace. Grace is the closest thing that comes to being synonymous with mercy. It implies benevolence. It implies tenderness, mercy, pity or compassion, clemency, but exercise only towards offenders. Interesting. In the present, God's love continually pours out upon us again through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For God said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, Scripture says that we love him because he loved us first in 1 John 4, 19. It is in the present that we can experience God's never-ending love. It's during our present time when we were born again, we experienced God's mercy and God's grace. And as we live this Christian life, Because of God's mercy and grace, we experience the true love of God, that true love that casts out all fear, that true love that covers a multitude of sin, that true love that now dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. We experience God's love as it flows forth towards us through Jesus Christ. His love grows within our hearts and strengthens us, and it's His love that becomes perfected in us as we yield our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. As we're conformed into the image of our Savior, that love is now being perfected in our hearts, and that's what we experience in the present time. But the future belongs to the providence of God. God holds the future in His hand. He's the one that's designed the future. And in theology, providence is the care and superintendence which God exercises over His creatures. He clearly is on the throne, and he continues to be a constant force in our lives, directing and guiding us. He has a master plan, a plan that has existed before the beginning of time, a plan that will be accomplished according to his word and what we read. God will not and cannot fail. That should be reassuring to us. He has set things in motion, and by his providence, things will continue to go just as he's planned. But, you know, there are some who do not believe in the providence of God. In fact, in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, under providence, it says that, talking about someone who doesn't believe in the providence of God, he that acknowledges a creation and denies providence involves himself in a, a palatable contradiction. For the same power which caused the thing to exist is necessary to continue its existence. You know, some persons admit to general providence, but they deny any particular providence, not considering that a general providence consists of particulars. A belief in the divine providence is a source of consolation for us. It should be a source of consolation for you. It's a consolation for me. I am consoled to know that God indeed has a plan that involves me. That consoles me. He has a plan for my future. 
there's a plan that will directly affect me because he's involved in that plan. He has a plan for the entire earth. He has a plan for his church. He has a plan for the nation Israel. It's God's providence. And his perfect plan then consoles me knowing that I have a place with him in the future, a place with him throughout eternity, a place he provided for. And in fact, Jesus said he goes down and prepares that place for us. What more consolation do we need? Trust the past for mercy. Trust the present for love. And trust the future for God's providence. In our text this morning, we're going to see all three of these, mercy, love, and providence, past, present, and future, being presented to the Jerusalem Council as we look at Acts 15. In fact, that seems to be the title of our message today, past, present, and future. When we began our study of chapter 15 in the book of Acts, we read, we looked through it, and the Jerusalem Council convened because certain people, men, from Jerusalem, went down to Antioch where the new believers were gathering and they declared that they must be circumcised to be saved. We read that in Acts 15.1. These men became known as Judaizers. They loved the law. They were legalists. And after a great dispute occurred, it was decided that Paul and Barnabas would indeed go to Jerusalem. They would go to Jerusalem and seek the advice of the apostles and the elders on this matter. You can find that in Acts 15.2. When Paul and Barnabas arrived, the dispute continued. In fact, it even got worse. Because some of the Pharisees who believed at that time, they were present, and they added yet another requirement for salvation. We read in Acts 15.5, but some of the sect of Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So now they're putting more things on top of Jesus. More things that you had to have Jesus plus something else. We talked about this in length, at length when we studied those passages. But after still more arguing, Peter stands before the council, and he becomes the first witness for the defense. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about his witness. We talked about his testimony. But in his testimony, he reviewed for the council the past. He reviewed for the council what God had done in the past through him with the Gentiles. We read that, and, and we read that in Acts 15, 7 through 9. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts. As Peter declares that God's mercy was poured out upon the Gentiles by grace, he makes four very, very strong points. First of all, he said God had made a choice to send Peter, and through Peter's mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel. That was point number one. Peter didn't go out on his own. God sent him. Point number two was that God gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles to bear witness that they were truly born again. Point number two, they were born again when they had no chance to obey the law. Why? Because the law wasn't even given to them. The law wasn't even presented to them. It was presented to the house of Israel, to the nation Israel. That's where the law belonged. But God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit when they believed upon the name of Jesus Christ. 
And thirdly, God erased the differences that had been around for centuries between the Jews and the Gentiles, making no distinction between, because God is not, a, is not a God of partiality. He's completely impartial and loves all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God doesn't pick and choose. He's not partial. But the strongest statement Peter made, and perhaps the most boldest, can be found in the next verse. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter tells the council that the law was indeed a yoke upon the heads of the Jewish nation, a yoke that they couldn't bear. In other words, no one could keep what was commanded by God. No one was able to hold it up because of the weakness of our flesh. Furthermore, Peter's conclusion was that if the Jews couldn't keep the law, why would we put it upon somebody else? Why would we place the law that they couldn't keep upon somebody else? The yoke of the law had been removed by Jesus Christ. The yoke of the law is gone now. He had fulfilled that part of the law. The sacrifice was complete, and there was going to only be one sacrifice. There will never be another sacrifice that will cover the law like the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's only one. The law didn't purify a sinner's heart. The law could not impart the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the law most definitely could not give eternal life. What the law could not do, God did through his son, Jesus Christ. And that should be familiar to some of you Bible scholars because Paul speaks of this very thing in Romans 8, 1-4. In Romans 8, 1-4, listen to this. He said, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has been made free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His Son, His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul's talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about the law of Moses here. He said the law of Moses was just, it was holy, and it was good. But he was talking about what it could not do, what the law had not been able to accomplish. The law had limitations. The law of Moses could not make a man righteous before God because of the weakness of the flesh. The law couldn't make us righteous. But because the righteousness of God existed through Jesus Christ, God sent his son that in that righteousness, by believing in him, we could be saved. We could be counted justified, just as if it never happened. We could be justified by faith in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. And then the greatest thing about it is, is that God used that very law as a tutor for us. He used it as a tutor for us so that we would know what sin was. To bring us to his son, Jesus Christ, to bring us to salvation, God used the very law that we couldn't do as a tutor then and showed us our sin. For what we were helpless to do, God did. That's grace. That's God's grace. What we were helpless to do, I couldn't do it on my own, but God's grace did it. His mercy was pulled out. If you're living under the law today and not the blood of Jesus Christ by itself, I can guarantee you're struggling. I can guarantee that you're confused. 
You are constantly on a treadmill trying to please God and hope that he will be pleased with your obedience to some law or a group of laws. But you can't. You find yourself always falling short. You find yourself always missing the mark because you can never do enough. You can never be good enough. You can never uphold the law good enough. Why? Because of the weakness of our flesh. A yoke has been placed on you. A yoke that you cannot bear. It's not because you don't want to. Your intentions may be good. You probably have all the good intentions of the world to be a good person in the eyes of God, to be righteous and holy in the eyes of God. But because of our humanity, because of our flesh, we can't. It's impossible. I challenge you, come out from under the law today. Come out from under that yoke. Be free of your bondage and live in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given you. Christ has died for you to have freedom. The freedom that was purchased with his blood, don't let his sacrifice be in vain. Come out from under the law and be free. This is what Peter was telling the council. Peter spoke of the past, saying that it was God's grace alone that saves. He reviewed God's mercy being poured out upon the Gentiles, and his witness must have made a great impact upon the council. Why can I tell? Because they were silent. Imagine that. This whole group had been arguing vehemently. They had been yelling and screaming. I'm sure there were tempers flaring. And when Peter gets up and talks and he sits down, all of a sudden they're like, what did he say? They were dumbfounded. They were speechless. They didn't know what to say. God's grace was poured out upon them. He said the same way, and we can receive mercy the same way. As we review God's past in our lives, we see his grace. Can you look back on your life and see the grace of God, the hand of his grace on your life? If you've become born again, you've experienced God's grace. You know what God's grace is. You know that you didn't deserve it. You know that you've fallen short. You know that you've missed the mark completely. But you know what scripture says, that God loves you anyhow. And in the midst of your sin, God sent his son to die for you. Now that's reviewing the past, to see him from whence you've come. Sometimes we even put people under the law ourselves. My sin looks really bad on you. Don't look so bad on me, but you? Oh, man. My sin looks horrible on you. But when we realize the mercy and grace that God has given us, we take a step back and we look at things through his eyes, and his grace covers that, and his love covers that, and his mercy covers that. There was silence in the council, just as there's silence here today. There was silence in the council. Paul and Barnabas never missed an opportunity to speak, and they took this silence as an opportunity. And they jumped up, and they want to chime in their words, their words toward this. Look at verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened as Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Barnabas and Paul now become the second and third witnesses for the defense. They begin to tell the council about their missionary journey that they had just completed among the Gentiles. The council listened intently, and they greatly... Why did they listen so well? Because they greatly respected Paul and Barnabas. We're going to read next week in the final decree in Acts 15, 25 through 26. It says, It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men 
to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. They were respected. They were well-liked. They knew what they had gone through. So when they stood up, people listened to what they had to say. Notice what Paul and Barnabas zero in on. What do they pinpoint? They pinpoint the miracles and the wonders that God had done all throughout their missionary journey. Paul would later write to the church of Galatia these words in Galatians 3, verses 5 through 9. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before saying, in all the nations shall be blessed. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The signs and wonders were shown, but it wasn't the working of miracles. It was God's grace. It was the faith through God's grace that led them to believe. Paul and Barnabas declared to the council that they had preached God's grace. They didn't preach the law to the Gentiles. God gave witness to the grace that they were preaching by these signs and wonders. You know, if you reread the missionary journey that we studied through Acts 13 and 14, you'll notice that in Acts 13, 43, Acts 14, 3, and Acts 14, 26, it says that God opened the doors to the Gentiles for what? The door of faith, not the door of the law, the door of faith. The church in Antioch was founded by those who believed and turned unto the Lord, Acts 11.23, and those who experienced the grace of God, it says in Acts 11.23. Paul and Barnabas spoke of the mighty works of God among the Gentiles. They spoke of the present, how God's love continued to pour out among the Gentiles through his mercy and grace. Look at your present life. Look at the lives right now that you're living in Christ. Are you experiencing God's love? Are you experiencing the love of God regardless of the trials and situations that might be happening in your life? Is God still demonstrating his love to you? Is God still pouring out love out upon you? Are you experiencing that love? Is it changing your heart? Is it making you ever more in love with a God who loved you so much that wouldn't spare his own son? Is it making you ever more in love with a God whom your fear is that you might disappoint? Your fear is this awesome reverence like, wow, is that what the love of Christ is doing in your heart today? Is that what's happening in your present life? Because as you walk this Christian life, that love continues to pour out. And as you continue to receive it, you're built up. You're strengthened. And trouble will come. Afflictions will come. Trials will come. You need the love of Christ to stand strong in these trials. You need to be know who you are. You need to know where you're going. You need to know what's happening in your life. And that's what the present condition of the Christian is. He's experiencing God's love. He experienced mercy and grace when he accepted Christ. But now in the present time, it's the love of Christ that continues to flow forth. And I accept it. And I say, yes, thank you, Lord. Barnabas and Paul knew that. And they spoke about the present situation, how Gentiles were being saved by God's grace. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.